The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 107. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Next Generation episode, The Offspring. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, an auspicious beginning. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How you feeling? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. You know, it's going to be a good episode when the director actually puts a scene in with himself just so that he can, you know, spice it up a little it. bit. <laughs> and be in it gets his gets his james t kirk moment yeah so uh, before we get into all that uh folks please be sure to share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our uh, community and our audience that uh all, all helps us immensely you're you're the primary way that we grow our audience so we do appreciate that so this is the offspring it is a third season episode of the next generation and that means the season where it gets tolerable yes yes and i'll get into why i picked this but this uh well let me get into why we picked this it because it connects with picard these the star trek series picard which just ended and uh we, we may have mild spoilers for that if you haven't watched it yet so if you really want to stay away from spoilers from the picard series you, you're intending right. to watch it at some point soon Stay away from from you know. Come back and not stay away. Come back and listen to this uh, yeah. when you when you're ready to uh, to have some a little bit of spoilers. But uh, we're, we're gonna because this connects with that season. What, what's 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 sad about this this episode is as you can tell by our intros, we really don't like this episode. This is not a good episode. But what's sad is it's the episode right after what I still consider to be one of my absolute favorite TNG episodes, Yesterday's Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. That was a good one. Right. That totally redeemed Tasha Yar. Yeah, and it's yes. just like it went from yesterday's Enterprise, which was such a high point, to this. Yeah, it's interesting that you guys have you talk about that because a lot of people like consider this one of the best. And in fact, it was put up for oh some uh, science fiction awards. I don't know if it was a Hugo mm-hmm. or something like that, but uh, it was it was up there. And it's interesting that uh, you guys don't like it. This is we should mention also Jonathan Frakes' first his directorial debut. And he was yeah. the first cast member to direct. Right. Well, so they, he's and and they actually did a, a good choice with that for him. I mean, I mean, I've read the stories about how, like, when he approached the showrunners and said, I, I, I want to direct, they said, OK, fine, but you're going to go to director school first. And they made yes. him like follow around their existing directors and learn their production process inside out. And that then opened the door to other people like LeVar Burton and yep. Gates McFadden and um, uh, in other series, uh, Roxanne Dawson and mm-hmm. people yep. like that becoming directors. 
And they they really were, uh, the showrunners really were kind of careful about who they let direct. They did not let just anybody direct. Some mm-hmm. cast members who were known for not showing up and being entirely professional and learning their lines, Harry Kim, um, <laughs> wanted to direct, but were not given the opportunity. So right. it wasn't just because you're an actor on our show, you get direct. Yes, that's true. But they they did it, something kind of intelligent here where by having Riker be almost not in this episode, it lets right. Jonathan Frakes focus on his directorial work his first time out. Right. Uh, well, the other thing about first-timers is this is the first Star Trek episode written by Rene Echevarria, mm-hmm. who... We, we, this was a spec script. He was uh, the the uh, trope of the waiter who sends in a script. Who's you know trying mm-hmm. waiting tables yep. while trying to make his break. He sent in this script. They liked it. They ended up hiring him onto the staff, and he's now a big time producer. He and, created uh, a big show for Amazon recently called the Carnival Row, starring uh, Orlando he's Bloom. He's also involved with the fourteen or the forty four hundred and others. Which is kind of sad because I I generally like a lot of the stuff that he writes. A lot of the stuff that I've seen that he's been involved in is really, really good. It's just this particular episode kind of strikes a little odd. But in fairness to it, it's not the worst episode they've ever produced. It's just not great. I mean, it has has some nice things in it. It's some things that are genuinely funny, some things that are genuinely moving. It's just the... Those are those are individual moments in an right, episode yeah. that doesn't really hang together upon rewatch. When I mean, my memory of this when I saw it in the eighties was mm-hmm. I liked it, but that yeah. was judging it based on eighties style television that it was surrounded by. Right. Watching it now with modern standards, it doesn't age well. Yeah, that's fair to say. So one thing to to note it's it, this one is not so much about data's child which is the who the the titular offspring is uh but it's about data being a parent and how he deals yep. with that i mean that's really the, the i think that that seems to be the nugget of the story how they they get started with this story although originally i gather um this was really about the child when mm-hmm. they when it was submitted and the producers came back to Rene Achivari to say we want this to be about our characters, our cast, not a, primarily about this other character. So make it more about our characters. Yeah, although to me, this story is really the measure of a man, the next generation. I mean, it, <laughs> yes. it's yeah. it's all in in the measure of a man. It's like, okay, does Data have rights or is he a toaster? Now, we all know Data's a toaster, but they've decided he's a toaster that has rights. <laughs> so right. now... What if the toaster has a baby toaster? Does the baby toaster have rights? Yeah. And it's basically measure. And what rights does the toaster have over the toaster baby? And so it's basically measure of a man part two. And so instead of Bruce Maddox in this episode, we have Admiral older Bruce Maddox, who is like <laughs> yeah. also a cybernetics genius and stuff. Yes. So Melinda Snodgrass, who wrote Measure of a Man, actually felt like this was a retread. She didn't like this episode. She felt it was, uh, how did she say? I felt it was fairly obvious and tired and stupid, and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, denial. So tell us how you really feel. About it. <laughs> yeah. and, and the uh, sad part is, I like the idea of this being a continuation of that, you know, of Measure of a Man, yes. of that same idea. Yeah, how it was played out maybe didn't work out quite as well as they'd hoped. 
Yeah. Well, she felt it was a, a retread of, you know, going back over the same ground that Measure Man did. Uh, it was a good show for Jonathan Frakes to start with. And she said it was a nice bottle show and he didn't have to co- cope with alien cultures. And that's the thing is it's a bottle show and everything takes place in the Enterprise and it's just internal. Yeah. I'm not that wild about Measure of a Man either. So. Yes. For obvious reasons. Uh <laughs> But the difference with Measure Man was it was about Data's rights, as you said, in individual, and this was about rights as a parent, and um, and and that's that's the the key here is as you said, is Data a living being, and if so, if he is or is not, is he a parent? And well, this is where we go with it. So we have Lol. We start with Lol. Uh, that by the way, which means beloved in Hindi. Yeah, but it's a male term of affection, right? Well, because we start with a non-gender specific android. Hey, the, we're still giving choice. it a gendered name for obliviousness right. reasons. Well, you get uh, I guess all names, well, they they're not. You could call it the Robin, which Chris, it's Pat. Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 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 we to start with, Data has summoned Troy and Jordy and Wesley to a lab where he's been holed up since coming back from a cybernetics conference and he's been very secretive and we know this because Wesley has been trying to break in and find out what's going on. I have to say, in this episode especially, Will Wheaton is not doing great acting here. I mean, no. some of his some of his stuff is really kind of not good. M- Marina Sirtis is not doing great acting either, but then they're being fed lines that are pretty pretty lame. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so he introduces them to this android called Lol, who has no discernible features to indicate sex and has rudimentary features for reasons and and they Um, really prominently let us know that the android does not have any features to indicate sex (laughs) yes it's unclothed we we get we we get a really good look at its non-gendered nature it's (laughs) barbiness so it it also calls data father and uh, the others don't seem thrilled that data is calling it is his child uh data tells us that he's transferred his neural pathways into law which is similar to what we uh, is that a little similar to what we yeah, eventually get in Picard series? Yeah, it's, with fractal neuronic cloning of of yeah. a, a you know you can reconstruct all the data's knowledge from a single neuron equivalent, mm-hmm. and it's like we keep getting these android katras with no payoff. Yeah, I mean <laughs> this, this at least sounds like a, this this yeah. sounds more like a, a like a file system copy though than it does like a, a cloning of the device. Which introduces the problem of why isn't it just data in a new body? Right. You know, yeah. like, why does it suddenly have different personality and all this stuff? So that, yeah. I, so I interpreted Picard, it more yeah. as like he's copying his firmware over, but not yeah. the data files. Yeah. He's, yeah the there OS. Flashing the firmware. That's what he's doing. Yeah. Flash firmware. Put in, install the OS, but it's his own user uh, in there. Okay. So <laughs> Picard is not happy. He tells data that he should have been consulted. And actually, this was kind of a good line because data says, well, no other crew members are required to consult the captain about procreation. <laughs> oh, and I like the way Data says it. I have not noticed other crew members consulting you about their procreation. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, duh. Um, and this goes to one of my key problems with this episode and a lot of other episodes of this era, because what they're trying to do are high con. Now, this one's kind of a blend of high concept and character driven. The yeah. the so in writing a high concept is where it's really about the concept rather than the characters, and yeah. you know character driven is obvious by comparison. And this is kind of both because it's like what if data 
there's our character-driven aspect, had an Android child. There's our high concept. Right. And a lot of these early episodes are high concept because they haven't really fleshed out the characters as well to where the characters can drive the story as much. And in these early seasons, we don't really have a feel for what the 24th century is like. And so we have this uncomfortable mix of retrogressive and progressive attitudes on the part of the characters where they're inconsistent. And Picard, because he's the primary audience identification character, becomes the victim of this, where he is coming off like he's an unenlightened idiot at the beginning of the episode, and then he makes the transition to being the enlightened person who is on board with the new concept by the end of the episode. And we see this in Measure of a Man, for example, Mm -hmm. where early on he's on the, well, maybe Data is a toaster side. And then it's like, after someone in a staff meeting says like one sentence is, oh, thank you so much for reminding me that, of course, Data is just another living being. He's just uh, he's just electronic instead of biochemical like us. And it's like right. instant pivot of viewpoint, at which point he becomes Data's ally and protector. Same exact thing happens in The Offspring, where he's treating Data like he's a toaster that doesn't have a right to reproduce. And then it's like, well, I haven't noticed anybody else doing, you know, consulting you about their procreation. It's like, Oh, yeah. Okay. How about that? I'm being a retrogressive idiot, aren't I? I should really get with the 24th century program and become absolutely sold on your side of things and now become your protector again. There's also a, something else to consider, which is, you know, we, we assume that the other people on the board are human or humanoid whose procreation is nobody else's business and doesn't affect anybody. What if you had a species whose procreation could cause a danger to the ship or others? replicators they would have to uh you know consult with the captain before procreating wouldn't they you know well and and issues too of of uh supervisory positions and things like that i mean in 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 not just in the military but in corp you know if dating someone who's in your chain of command could be a concern of the boss right right and if you are in a a dangerous situation and and you're a female crew member who gets pregnant you know, maybe that yep. maybe you do need to let your boss know if if you're pregnant or whatever. You know, the, exactly. you're working next to the warp core. You maybe don't want to <laughs> be pregnant working next to the warp core. So it's a little iffy that that statement there. But uh, anyway, Data says he decided to allow the child to choose its own uh, sex and appearance, which makes I suppose makes sense for an android because it, I mean human beings don't, but uh, in, in principle, toasters do. In principle, but and, and I couldn't help with you know this is it's thirty plus years later now, and so wow, there is a lot of gendering going on in this yeah, right. episode. <laughs> but it's actually stupid the way they play this out. I don't have a problem with him letting Lal pick what race and sex and whatever else Lal is going to be, but he hasn't finished installing the firmware yet. They make right. it clear that he's doing this in pieces, and, and they're building it up dramatically. This is a really important choice. You need to look at thousands of options. And and so it's like, this is entrusting the decision of what race and sex you're going to be to a two-year-old. Right. Because Lal has, is still learning things like painting and home and chair and sit. And it's, okay, you haven't given her enough, it enough basis 
to decide rationally yet. They've clearly constructed this episode in the premise so that Lull goes through the stages of maturation like a human child would. Like yeah. They, they mm-hmm. want to kind of simulate that with, with, with her. But yet, you got to have the actor looking like a human being early enough that the audience can connect with her and... And, and they don't have to, so, and they don't have to spend as much money on makeup and all that good stuff too, right? Right. So yeah. there's that's that's they they've they've painted themselves into a corner with that. Picard at first refused, like you mentioned, refuses to call it a child. But Troy asks, "Why does bi- biology rather than technology determine whether it's a child? Because science? Yeah. <laughs> 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 like that's you know." But, you know, we've yeah. already crossed that bridge in Measure of a Man, so, you know. Yeah. I don't know. If one welding robot makes another welding robot, I'm not inclined to think of the second welding robot as a welding <laughs> robot child. <laughs> right. So uh, Picard doesn't, doesn't want Data to deactivate it because, as he says, it's a life. But, he, but now it's, his concern is how will Starfleet react, because Starfleet is unenlightened and regressive, as, we, as we've mentioned. Data the, then goes over the various approaches he's for parenting that he's found in different cultures, as Data does. That's become sort of a data trope. I love what he says. I, he, I've noticed that in most species, there is a primal instinct to perpetuate themselves. It's like in every species, Data, that's evolution. If any species <laughs> right. did not have a primal instinct to perpetuate itself, it would die. Yes. The, those species are now gone <laughs> early on. Uh, we call them yes. pandas. So, yeah, and he also says he's uh, motivated by the desire to perpetuate himself because he's the last of his kind, except for Laura before Juliana Tainer, Data, who's Data's mom, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. All of whom are, are still in the future. Although, have we seen Laura yet by this Yes, point? we've seen Laura. Okay, so Laura's still out there, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give him that. Uh, Data and Troy then take uh, Lal to the holodeck to choose an appearance, gender, and species. Because gender neuter is inadequate, she says. Uh, it is a oh, difference. What's this gender neuter chauvinism here? <laughs> so, uh, Troy has the statement it's a decision that will affect how people interrelate with you, which mm-hmm. is an interesting point. Is it saying that appearances matter, I guess? But we, we, it, we get it narrowed down to female Indorian, human male, human female, Klingon male. So, apparently, human is the, up, the, the leg up on it. Uh, although I gotta have to point out, when human male appearance shows up, Troy gives the "Ooh, he's cute. He won't have a problem socializing." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Weird. This is this has some of the worst Troy dialogue and acting in the whole episode. Yeah. Because so Data has shown while Troy was asleep, Data has shown Lal like thousands of possibilities, and has narrowed it down to these four. The android, the Andorian female, is neat as a concept. Yeah. But it doesn't look right. It doesn't look like other Andorians we've seen, including other Andorian females that we see later. So it's not very well visually realized. But then we have this Troy line about how if Lal picks the Andorian female, she'll be the only one on the ship. Could cause a problem with socialization. And then they switch to human male. He's cute. He won't have any problem with socialization. Then they switch to human female. I like her. Then they switch <laughs> yeah. to then they switch to uh, which is signaling where we're going to go. Then they switch yeah. to Klingon male, a friend for Worf. And Marina Sirtis not only are these lame lines, but Marina Sirtis's line delivery on them is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It feels forced. You 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 wonder sometimes when you have scenes like this if even the actors are going. 
okay, I'm going to get through this stupid line. I'm going to say it is ridiculous. I can. So hopefully they cut this scene altogether. <laughs> right. She ends up, uh, anyway, Lal picks human female and she has more realistic skin and eye color than data. Apparently he's gotten better at this than, uh, than his, proge- his progenitor did. Well, except that had to always be a deliberate design choice. Yeah. I mean, we can do better than that on store mannequins now. <laughs> I know. So uh, Data then gives Lal a tour of his quarters as their new home. Uh, we have a montage of Lal learning social and other skills. Remember to swallow the drink when you put it in your mouth. Uh, although I have to say her ball playing coordination is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, that's one of the genuinely funny moments where yes. Data is narrating this montage to us and says that, you know, she I forget exactly how he puts it, but like this aspect of her ability to catch a ball is good, but her timing needs work. And they show Wesley throwing a ball to Data and Data catches it. And then Wesley throws the ball to Lal and it just hits Lal and bounces off. And then she raises her hand to catch it. <laughs> and that's, that's genuinely funny. Yes, yes. Uh, I, there is a good a, a good moment here, a good line where Data learns that teaching a child is a way of experiencing learning those things for yourself all over again. And this that's true. Any parent will, will recognize that watching your children learn something you already know is in some ways like experiencing that thing all over again. That's why I love to show my kids like Star Wars because it's a way of experiencing it for the first time all over again. So that was that was a kind of a nice moment to, to put in there. But then Lal asks her purpose, her reason for being. And Data says our function is to contribute in a positive way to the world in which we live. And like a two or three-year-old, she's then full of questions. Why is the sky black? I, I like that, actually. Yeah. Why is the sky black instead of why is the yes, sky blue? That was nice. <laughs> I, I, and I, and I, I took that. We're here to make a positive contribution. That's basically the Starfleet philosophy. Yep. Right. So that's, what, that's the main philosophy of their civilization. So that was reasonable in context. Other things, though, I didn't, and this is, again, a problem with Data, in, especially in seasons one and two, where Data, has, I mean, he's got Google in his head. He shouldn't have these retrieval problems with <laughs> what is this concept, but yep. he'll, be, he'll be taking Lal around his quarters like she's a dog or, a, or something and saying, painting, and showing her, uh, you know, uh, his, his imitation of the Partridge family school bus. Um, which is actually based on a famous painting. Yes. Or chair, sit, you know, and he's like instructing her like a dog. And then she's, after he says these things, she comes up with the concept that he's talking about, but she's incapable of recognizing it on her own. She has to be told it's a painting and then, oh, pigments applied to a surface. Yes. And then she misrecognizes other things. They sit down in on on, on a couch and they've got a, a you know a glass table or whatever in front of them and it's got a flower on it. And she's like painting. And I said, No, Lol, that is a flower. And yes. it's just it's such stiff artificial writing. I mean, well, she's got yeah. Google in her head. Well, well I wonder right. if, if that's I wonder if that's the point they're trying to make and maybe not doing it well, but that disconnection between having this database of billions and billions and billions of facts and actually connecting it to the real world, to like what right. is actually sitting in front of them. And I, I, at least it's better than data with his, you know, first season query. What is, <laughs> you know, 
No, I just, I just, I really wonder if it's just showing that that disconnect between receiving the firmware and the operating system and the experience. Well, it, yeah, but they also, I mean, it is a in the real world, it is a problem getting computers to recognize shapes, you know, and identify what objects are. And as a result, computers in the real world will totally bump into stuff. Yeah. But she's navigating her environment and can distinguish the painting from the other stuff in her visual field. She should be able to identify it. This is it, our modern problem shouldn't be transferring to them. Right. They should have solved the problem by then. But, you know, the A lady or the, you know, the lady in the can that I don't want to activate uh, oh. <laughs> has access to all of Google. <laughs> But it still can't integrate, you know, it still can't integrate it and recognize things. But that's 21st century, yeah. not 24th. So yeah, I, I, I get that point. It is a bit artificial. Yeah. That- and by the A-Lady, we mean first generation Janet technology. Exactly. <laughs> yes. First generation Janet. So uh, Data decides to, at Wesley's suggestion, he decides to send Lol to school for socialization. Uh, so that's a typical bad idea from Wesley. And then Picard talks to the Starfleet Admiral, uh, mean Admiral dude. Well, Admiral Older Bruce Maddox. Older Bruce Maddox, yes. Uh, who wants to take away Lol for study uh, for reasons. Again, uh, he, he he makes the Picard makes the argument that Data sees the new android as his child, um, and then refuse. He like says, "Well, you know, respectfully, I refuse." To the Admiral, I'm like, "He's an Admiral. Can you do that? You're a captain. You can't just <laughs> you, can't, you can't just say it no." Like, it's not your choice, really. We have usual Star Trek loose chain of command insubordination that nobody notices. Later on in the episode, <laughs> Picard dismisses Data from the Admiral's presence, and it's like, wait, this is the Admiral's meeting. He's the one who gets to dismiss people. Right. The Admiral, like, his claim is having Lol being, br- you know, brought up by Data is bad because data could undermine it but data is like the only actually functioning android out there oh but, why but, would that be bad but he's not the experts you know yeah it, 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 it is kind of funny to think of this in the parallel of you know the, the the uh the supposed you know children children's psychologist experts who really put out a lot of bad advice mm-hmm. and <laughs> want to take the kids ago. away from their parents yeah, I mean, right, and right. viewed in that perspective, it 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 actually kind of works, but they don't get it. They don't give us a sustained articulation of the two viewpoints of why this would be good or why this would be bad. All we get right. is, well, data is not an expert, and later on we get there are only two known Sung type androids, and and they could both be extinguished if they're both on this ship. So we need to get one of them <laughs> off the ship for protection of the Sung type Android line. That at least is a decent argument. <laughs> well, I don't think it is though. If you're concerned about that, why did you let the then before that one known model go yeah. on that same starship where he would be destroyed if something happened to the starship? Uh, yeah. I, I think that was probably the weakest argument. In fact, that happens later. Yep. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, so the, the data sends Lal to school and it, first she can't relate to the older kids. So they put her with the younger kids and the younger kids are afraid of her as they probably <laughs> rightly so. And data assumes that the children laughing at Lal was meant unkindly, but I, I took exception because maybe they weren't being unkind. Maybe they're just surprised and amused at her strange responses. 
I kind of like this scene. So when we, and I like several things about this. Um, when when the teacher is talking to Data about you know we tried to place her with the older kids and that didn't work, so we put her with the younger kids. And then we pan back and we see all of these younger kids. They're and they're I don't know four or something five, and they're all mm-hmm. clustered around a table with an, doing some activity. And Lal is like standing over against the wall away from all of them. Right. And then we see Data after this talking to Lal in the turbo lift, and she's fascinated by the light of the different decks going by. But then she's uh, she notes that the she asks what's the function of laughter, and Data says it's a human response to humor. And she says, then I, without even knowing about humor, have mastered it. (laughs) (laughs) That's genuinely funny. And then I like how Data has this emotional maturity at this point, because if this was first season Data, even though he'd been in Starfleet for 25 years by that point, he was so naive about human interactions. I could imagine first season Data going, yes, lol, yes, you have mastered it. But here, even right. though he's apparently had a big learning curve in the last two of his 27 years in Starfleet, now has the emotional maturity to say, the children were laughing at you, Lal, not with you. Right. I agree, Dom. Maybe they were laughing with her or didn't mean it unkindly. But what I like about this is what, how it shows Data has grown in his emotional awareness. Right. He does point out, that, you know, the thing that we know, that differences sometimes scare people. And Lal has that response that a lot of kids, especially ones who are bullied for being different, say yeah. is, well, I don't want to be different. And mm-hmm. a lot of us sci-fi nerds, <laughs> we, we, can, we, we, we feel can that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, your, there's the problem right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Data goes to the only other parent that we have on the show, which is uh, Beverly Crusher, to ask her for parenting advice about Lal's feelings of isolation, and she talks about how Wesley didn't fit in and how she told him about her struggles growing up, and Data at first says, um, you know, I, well, I didn't grow up, and she says, well, but you went through some of this, too, and so she helps him realize that he's gone through this, and what she's going through, and so he can help her with that. So the scene does end with Data saying, well, I can't give her love. I can't give Lal love, and Beverly says as he leaves, well, I find that hard to believe given that he's he's doing the things that look like love mm-hmm. to to us so i also like in this scene uh, the backstory we get about wesley you know and how his yep. intelligence caused him to have problems making friends as a younger kid and that makes sense also she's clearly smart too i mean she's going to be the head of starfleet medical right she would have had similar problems too growing up and she acknowledges she did yes yeah and, and the, the point about love, too, is, you know, it, it kind of brings that point of that love is not just that emotional feeling. Yeah. You know, right. There's much more to it. It can be as much an intellectual choice as it is an actual just mushy feeling of caring for someone. Act of the will. Yeah. If one welding machine really has it high on its table of priorities to help another welding machine, then that's love. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it can, yeah, if the AI decides to help others, it's it's love, AI love. So we we have uh, Picard uh, asleep in bed and gets a call from Admiral Haftel, the the bare chested Picard. By the way, we get we get a nice uh, 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 
what do they call it? Meatball shot? I forget what it is, like the beefcake shot. Oh, this, of, is, uh, this is where we should have a clip of uh, of Alan Rickman from Galaxy Quest saying, So you managed to get your shirt off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so he's woken up by Haftel, and uh, he was coming uh, himself to, to look at the android, and will take lol if he's in, unsatisfied with what he sees. So we, we've set up our conflict, our future conflict. Now we're in 10 forward with Guinan, and uh, we're, this is where Lal's going to learn about socialization. Uh, they do marvel at how Lal uses a contraction because, of course, Data uses them all the time. I know. <laughs> this This is one of the things that I really hate about, I think it was a writing mistake, because they yes. introduced, when we got lore, they introduced the idea that Data never uses contractions. When, of course, the actor slips and uses them all the time because he's a, a human, not a ro- real robot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they never should have. If they if they want to give Data a different speech pattern to make him seem different, like not using contractions, great. I'm all for that. But keep it at the script level. That way, mm-hmm. no one will, A, no one will notice when you do slip. And B, it will achieve your effect of making him seem different. But any computer can be taught. I mean, I can teach my modern today computer to use contractions. I can just put it in autocorrect. Okay, I am contracts automatically to I'm. Right. There's no reason that data can't do that unless Sung deliberately put in something in his programming to stop it. And so what could have been an artistic choice to just make data seem a little different that would operate on the subliminal level becomes a huge, not a huge, but it becomes a writing liability because it doesn't make any sense. And now everybody's going to be on the lookout for when you slip up, which I'm pretty sure he does a couple of times during this episode. Even in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he gets Lal a job working at 10 Forward, her first after-school job, so she can observe human behavior. Um, and then in Picard's ready room, they have a meeting about the Admiral coming, and he wonders if if the Admiral doesn't think Data has enough parenting experience, how much did the Admiral have when his first child was born? Oh, he's got him there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm going to guess none. So uh, back in 10 Forward, Lal and Guinan are looking at a couple flirting, uh, and they, uh, I, I did like that. This was funny. They, this, is, uh, this is a good sequence. Yeah, she sees them yep. start kissing, and Lal says loudly, he's biting that female. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, even, thought, even, I, even before that, as they're flirting, um, you know, Lal is yeah. noting, oh, they're holding hands and stuff, and she's noticing they're not talking, yeah. and she says, they seem to be communicating telepathically. And Guinan is like, well, they're both thinking the same thing, if that's what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of hinting at stuff in this ep- in this uh, yeah. scene, by the way. And, and, then, and of- when they leave, yeah. where are they going? Yeah, that, we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about that. Let, let Data tell you about that later. Some things yes. your father will have to explain when he thinks you're ready. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he's biting that female. I, that was great. I know, but that's then the Riker- best line in the whole show. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, then Riker has returned from his wherever he was and comes in and he doesn't know anything that's going on. <laughs> this Dana. is the scene that, you know, Jonathan Frakes wanted written in so that he could be in this episode and have this <laughs> yes. scene. Yes. And he says he does the looks at her and says at lol, it says you're new around here. He says to the obviously teenage girl yeah. <laughs> and flirting with her. Uh, and she says, yes, grabs him, pulls him across the bar and plants one on him. 
And this is when uh, Data walks in and says, Commander, what are your intentions toward my daughter? And Riker's like, nonplussed, like, your daughter? Uh, nice to meet you. I and then go. runs for the door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which it's, you know, it's kind of funny, but it is ridiculous, uh, you know, that uh, the way it plays out. It's just, it's obviously played for laughs. I think it's better until Data delivers the line, what What are your intentions towards my daughter? I, I, before, she's yeah. just being naive. And it's like, because Guinan has expi- explained that kissing is not biting, it's pressing lips. And so I can imagine a, a robot that's as naive as Lal immediately wanting to try that out. Right, right. And, and just, just Riker's reaction would have been just enough right there. Yeah. Just like- yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, or or just oh or data coming and said oh oh commander I see you've met my daughter or yeah whatever. yeah that would have been funny <laughs> that, too that would have been fine um anyway uh lol and data then have a discussion about the limitations of their not being able to feel emotions and yeah so y'all remember on Battlestar Galactica how we have the different Cylon models and they have different right. attitudes towards yep. humanity and the one oh I'm blanking on his name it's it's number one the brother cavill model uh he yeah. played by the guy from uh from quantum leap oh right 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 right, right. yeah yes. famous guy i'm yeah. blanking on his name but De- yeah, he's he, he stanton what? dean stanton okay uh, okay so. yeah, yeah um but he's the most misanthropic of all of the robots he uh, right. of all the silence he does not he resents the fact he's been made to look like a human it's like I ought to I'm a machine. I ought to be seeing the universe in x-rays instead of these globs of goo and stuff like that. And it's interesting to me in this scene as Lyle is talking to Data about how we are not humans and why do you even want to be a human if you can't be? And right. it's like whoa, Lyle is in danger of going number 1 and wanting to kill everybody right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Before before anyone writes in, uh, Dean Stockwell is what Stockwell. I guess. That's Dean it. Stockwell. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And then she she does ask Data like, why do you try to emulate humans if it just reminds you that you're incomplete? Which is an interesting thing. And he says something interesting here. It's the struggle that is important, and th- that's an interesting philosophical you know approach to things. That it's not so much that you whether you succeed or not. It's that you try. It, that that continuous desire to improve yourself and. Go drive towards the goal, even if you know you're never you'll never achieve it. Right. It's a little bit like the 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 Christian viewpoint, which you know, when Jesus says, "Be perfect as your Father is perfect," and we have to say, you know, well, we're never going to be that. But it's it's the trying, it's the looking. Yeah, I don't see this is this is something. <laughs> I, this is a problem I kind of have with this philosophy. I, it's the wrong way to say it. It's not okay to my mind. To my mind, okay, because. It is how much you achieve that's important. It is not the struggle that's important. It is how much you're able to achieve. And even if you can't achieve, even if you can't get where you want to be, you can get closer to it than you are now. Okay. And that's what's important. Is It's it, important it, you keep trying. Yeah, this uh, the yeah. struggle that's important is kind of like, okay, thank you, Friedrich Nietzsche, but it's not all about struggle. It's about <laughs> achievement. Okay. Uh, that is an important disti- distinction because uh, the distinctions are good. But uh, that is an important distinction that it's not just a struggle. It's also to, that you're getting somewhere. To quote Dora from Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're getting all kinds of references. This 
So uh, Admiral uh, Not Bruce Maddox shows up and makes it clear that he's just there to justify his decision not to form an opinion. He's like he's already decided he's taking law and he's you know filling out the bureaucratic necessity to show up. What a puritanical prude he is. She's in a bar (laughs) and he is so objection to that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He just like how how dare you keep uh, here? uh, And but then he calls it a a Picard has a sentimental attitude about androids. You know, accusing him of being sentimental. Like if it's just an android, then what's the big deal about working in a bar? I I, Uh, I love Guinan's response. So oh, I bet the admiral's been in the bar too in his time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like that. <laughs> I'm wondering whether he was now. He he seems like a wet noodle. So Picard reminds the Admiral that uh, suing androids are living sentient beings with rights under the law that he helped define, uh, which i.e. measure of a man. And uh, uh, so Data tells the uh, Admiral that Dalal has been an improvement on himself and that she's best kept near him so that he can serve as the model for a basis of comparison going forward. I'm not sure that's all that convincing, but you know, I mean, you can have a model that's not here. He's, you know what I mean. So, like you said, they find Law in Ten Ford, and Picard and Data justify that by saying it's so she can observe social interaction and engage in it, which makes sense. I mean, it's not like Ten Ford is some dive bar on the waterfront where the sailors go <laughs> when their ship comes into port. It, right. This it, is a high a class hotel lobby or yeah, high class exactly. hotel bar. Yeah, exactly. It, so the the uh, the the admiral derisively says, "You've made her into a cocktail waitress." And all the well, cocktail waitresses technically, it's Kool Aid that she's serving, not cocktails. Yeah. And, it is synthale. <laughs> yeah, and it's all it's all synthahol anyway. So yeah. So the the admiral ends up uh, interviewing Lal. Tells he tells her that he wants her moved to Starfleet Research because there's only so much you can learn on a starship. You mean the Federation's flagship, whose mission is to seek out new life, new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Yeah, there's only so much you can learn there. Where you could learn so much at some starbase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible argument. I do like Lal's response, which is to say, oh, then the logical conclusion is once I've learned everything I can learn here, then I will come to Starfleet Research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, then Picard finally gets to no one realizing that no one has asked Lal what she wants as under Federation law, a free sentient being. And Lal says, oh, then in that case, I want to stay. Oh, yeah, and this is where I, I misspoke earlier. It wasn't Data that Picard dismissed in front of the Admiral. It was Lal. He says, you can go Lal. Right. And it's like, I was just interviewing her, Captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't happen because no one ever notices minor insubordination in Starfleet. Yes. Lal ends up going to Troy's quarters, and she's obviously upset and tells her that she's feeling scared, which shouldn't be possible because she doesn't have the emotion chip. So that's uh, a malfunction. And And, and notice it's the Admiral who's unbalanced her. Yes. So the argument for taking her to Starfleet research (laughs) is undercut by that. Uh, The Admiral tells Data that the one irrefutable argument, as we mentioned before, is that there are only two androids with one chip, one lucky shot by a Romulan, and they lose them both, which is interesting, given what we have learned in the Picard series, that he mentions Romulans as the potential mm. lucky shot. Uh, mm. But uh, the minor spoilers there. The uh, Admiral throws Picard's lack of parenthood in his face, which is dirty pool, I think. Uh, he says there comes a time when a parent must give up their child for their own good, which is, uh, talk about ominous <laughs> 
the state coming yeah. and taking your child. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I say it's you know, it's when the parent gives up the child because the child is ready to go, not an admiral from Starfleet shows up and <laughs> takes the child from you by force, whether the parent thinks it is good or not. Right. I mean, given the, the debates over parental rights these days that we have, uh, it, it is a bit prescient. To, hey, to it takes a Starfleet to raise an android. Just saying. <laughs> right. By the way, going back to the, the, the mention of, I just thought this mention of Romulans, you know, I wonder if that was in their thoughts when they set up Nemesis. Mm. You know, where it was a Romulan, well, Reman, but. Yep. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And a clone, but that's a whole nother. Whole nother spoiler. argument for a whole yeah, nother, a whole nother argument for a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Picard so, mutinies at this point. Yes. Well, Data says, I, I do want to cover what Data says here. He says that he created Lol hoping she would enter Starfleet as a way of him giving back for all he's received from Starfleet. But he can't just give her up because it would violate everything he's learned about human parenting. So I do like the idea that Data, Data is seeing Lol as his contribution of giving back. That's, that's a nice uh, sentiment. But yeah, when the Admiral makes a direct or, order, Picard throws his career out the window and refuses to obey and 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 makes the argument the there are times sir when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders so uh, okay there's a you know he's mm. and he's got a legal leg to stand on he does he he does law. given given the ridiculous decisions they made at the jag uh hearing <laughs> right. but now we're heading towards we you know the center cannot hold. We're heading towards the inevitable conclusion where because of the nature of this program, Lal cannot be on the Enterprise at the end of this episode. And right. since Admiral Bad Guy can't be allowed to win either by taking her elsewhere, Lal has to die. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Lal must die. So Troy has called Data to his lab where Lal is malfunctioning. And her emotional response, we find out, is due to a cascade failure of her positronic brain and the admiral gamely redeems himself by volunteering to assist data in trying to fix her and this is where the show's writing even though it's still a little clunky after this this is where it really starts to become decent and good this this is where the show starts to redeem itself is the moment admiral what's his name says i know it's half tell says <laughs> can i assist and yes. Data says yes. So now, okay, great. Gilgamesh and Enkidu have fought, and now they're going to take on the Bull of Heaven together, and it's not going to go well. <laughs> right. Don't, so don't. we have the cliche scene, or not cliche, but the, the expected scene of you know waiting outside the operating room, the, yeah. you know, the loved ones, Troy, Jordy, and Wesley. That's the only thing I didn't like about it. It was such a thinly veiled you know, sur surgery scene, you know, they're, yes. they're waiting for the surgeon to come out and he's, he's even like washing his hands as he walks out, you know, it, we, we couldn't save her. There's nothing we could do and she's going to die yes. any minute. Yes. He's washing his hands of the positronic fluid that apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gotta and, keep and, those and, computer and, viruses off your hands. Always wash yes. and don't touch your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Troy, Jordy and Wesley, which is a bookend to the beginning of the episode where they were the ones going there. So they are, they're obviously Data's closest friends. That's what that's what we what we have here. Um, and they're waiting. The admiral comes out. He tells them there's nothing that could be done, and sounds very emotional. And talks about how impressed by he he was by Data's superhuman efforts to save Law, but there was there's just nothing, no way he, he could save her. I did like the touch where the admiral says, "By the end, his hands were moving so fast I couldn't see them." That's a right. nice. That's a nice touch. 
Right. And it's better to hear about it than to watch them visualize it because it would have looked, it would have been hard to pull off a fast motion camera and have it look as dramatic as him just telling us that. Right, right. Yeah, he refused to give up, he says, you know, uh, like a father trying to save his child would not give up. Yeah. So well, there's that well, emotional... Welding machines will just keep going until their programming <laughs> tells them otherwise. <laughs> right. Well, they are trying to convey the emotional uh, resonance of, of a parent losing a child. And uh, so we have this scene with of them saying goodbye. Lal tells Data she loves him. Uh, he says he can't feel it back. And she says, I'll feel it for us both, which, you know, is yeah. touching. And then uh, Data tells Picard that he couldn't allow... He ate her brain. Yes, he couldn't allow yeah. <laughs> allow Lal to disappear. So he transferred her memories and programs to his own brain. Which, uh, seems... But that doesn't mean he feels what she felt, even though he's remembering it. Yeah, he remembers her feelings, but doesn't actually feel them. Apparently. Yes. But, and that's, that's where we, we, and then we end with Engage, for set. And so we have yet another android Katra that never gets paid off. <laughs> right, right. Over and over again. Uh, I will say, and, and I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, that the Picard series does this much better than Offspring does. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the, which, of course, they have all, a whole season to yeah. do. But, well, um, the Picard series isn't wall-to-wall, unenlightened, preachy writing. Right. I mean, it, it becomes preachy at various points, but it's realized much better than this. This is, yeah, you know, and I, I like Rene Echeverria as a writer. It's just, this is not, I mean, it's his first work and it's not his best work. Yeah. It is one of these high concept episodes where we need someone, and it ends up being Picard, who is the unenlightened 20th century viewpoint that then has to get portrayed as, I mean, essentially we have a conversion that happens yes. from one v- viewpoint to another in this episode. And conversions are notoriously hard to pull off in a realistic fashion in fiction. And so we get this clunky, stiff, preachy writing that as he makes that transition, once again, from being the idiot at the beginning of the show to being Data's advocate and protector by the end of the show. One thing that I found interesting is when Lal first develops emotions, and her first emotion happens to be fear, but when Lal develops emotion, she goes to Troy, and Troy recognizes that Lal is having a genuine emotional experience, but what they don't say in this episode is that she's a, she's recognizing it not just based on external appearances because of Lal's behavior change, but because mm-hmm. she's a betazoid and can feel what Lal right. is feeling. They don't settle that. I, I watched carefully, and they don't settle that either way. No. But in light of the mind meld we get with an android in Picard, it would seem possible for Troy to be feeling the emotions of lol at this moment in hindsight right. right it is interesting she goes to to troy instead of data because maybe she sees troy as a sister figure or mother figure yeah um, mother figure yeah it, it, it is interesting that they that they made that choice i'm not sure that i've seen anywhere where they explain why they made that choice well, but and it makes sense for her to do that because she knows Troy's the counselor. She deals with emotions, and Dad doesn't know right. beans about emotions. So go to the emotion expert lady. <laughs> right. That's that holds true, and even in human circumstances, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, 
Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so any other notes about this episode that you want to, Father Corey, anything? Uh, one thing I did, just thinking, you know, as you're talking about Picard is it's interesting how they made the choice in Picard to have some of the new Sung type androids not have the perfect skin, you know, right. the human like skin, even though data had already solved that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just kind of, inter- I mean, this interesting choice of course, then eventually they do have it where, they develop into the better skin that we see with Dodge and. Uh, I, before we finish up, I do we, we do have some feedback uh, on our episode one hundred, our uh, on where we talked about the book, The Last Best Hope. Uh, John Scrivo writes via email: Happy one hundredth episode! I was so excited you guys reviewed The Last Best Hope. I finished reading it a couple days after the podcast came out. I really enjoyed how it filled in the backstory highlighted in the Picard series. I wish Zabin and Laris were in the book. I also don't think. Agnes Gerardi was portrayed in the best light, so we, we agree on those both those points. Uh, he says, The book jacket, yes, I know a real book, mentions that Una McCormick has written eight previous Star Trek books. I'm interested to see if they're any good. Also, he points out her daughter's name is Verity, so I guess we know where Picard's ship's name came from. Uh, <laughs> she also acknowledge, acknowledges Kirsten Bayer, who played uh, the Admiral in Picard series. She acknowledges her contribution, so she must have really based the character in the book from the character hmm. in the series. Uh, then he says, I'm also wondering if in a future podcast you might recommend some additional Star Trek novels to read. I've only read a few, and I know many are of questionable quality. Maybe other listeners would like to hear some book recommendations, too. Oh, you're yeah. the expert on that, Dom. Yeah, I was, was going to re- respond. Is like I, I know you guys haven't read as, as many Star Trek novels, but I've, I've read lots, and there are hundreds, <laughs> literally, mm-hmm. out yeah. there, and I have, when, haven't read nearly that many of them. But I think it would be, I could Try to come up with uh, like as part of an an episode, future episode, maybe take a, a brief diversion and come up with a list of some that might be good places to start. Oh. The older ones by Diane Duane, I thought were are particularly good. Hmm. Well, it, it it helps too that there are some there are you know there are cert, there's of course you know the the numbered novellas, the little tiny you know read in about two hours, yeah. and then there are there are more significant novels like this one, like we did, yeah. like Last Festival, which is. You know, it's actually more of a significant novel that we could probably discuss more than these little, you know, read them as you're sitting in the airport type novellas that are pretty yeah. common for Star Trek. The uh, Because I was impressed by Una McCormick's writing, I just yesterday actually got an audio book of another one of her Star Trek novels called Enigma Tales, which is set on Cardassia and is about Garak after oh. Deep Space Nine. So I'll be interested I read that. to see what that one involves. I have not yet read, and unfortunately, it's I have it in Kindle, but they they turn they did not allow text to speech for this book, and they haven't released it on um, audiobook. But Andrew Robinson, Garrick, him the actor who plays Garrick, mm-hmm. wrote a novel about what happens to Garrick after Deep Space Nine called A Stitch in Time. And since it was by the actor who plays the character, I'll treat it as headcanon canonical. So I'm interested in in reading that one. It's supposed to go into Garrick's backstory and what really happened prior to Deep Space Nine too, I believe. Uh, I did read Enigma Tales. So that is a good one. That that's 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 worth reading. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, uh, Una McCormick is British, and her daughter's name is Verity. I wonder if she was named for Verity Lambert, as in the first uh, Doctor Who producer. producer. Oh, possibly. Yeah. She is a sci-fi fan, but who knows? Yeah. Know. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you, John, for the feedback. We we do love getting feedback from uh, from listeners. 
we'll we'll try to follow up on that. So uh, as we finish up, we take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Gary J, Christopher P, Thomas V, Leonides S, and Megan S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Offspring? Do you have a, a better opinion of it than, than we did? Uh, let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Dax. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, congratulations, Data. It's a girl. Toaster. Toaster. <laughs>